you read comic books or watch movies, you know that the main character, our hero, has an origin story. Peter Parker gets bitten by a radioactive spider, Cal-El crash lands from Krypton onto Earth only to be raised as Clark Kent, and a young Bruce Wayne finds himself suddenly an orphan after his family runs into a mugger. It's origin stories that stick with us forever and shape our view of our lives because once you decide why you want to change the world, the path forward starts to illuminate. Welcome to Let Creativity Flow, brought to you by Splice, a music creator marketplace for samples and software. Go to osirispod.com creativity to learn more and to see a special offer for listeners of this podcast. In this episode, we're going to discover the origin story of Splice. Our story begins when John Barber, guitarist for the Disco Biscuits, was chatting with Steve Martosi, who was then thinking about his next big project. The real problem solver, though, was at the time we had a studio in Philadelphia. We had the old Gamble and Huff studio. And I guess talking to Steve backstage at Camp Bisco, I told him, I think, here's my best idea, knowing that when we had our Gamble and Huff studio, we had all these problems with all the musicians we were using it with of how to get sounds from one place to another, how to get projects from one place to another, how to get people to work on things that were in Philly for a week, come to our studio, work with us, and then leave, and then you want to keep working. Obviously, you're not done in a week. So how to fix all those problems. And I think that that was the idea of making a cloud tracking and collaboration system was very appealing for us as studio owners at the time. Barber is not your average guitar player, and the Disco Biscuits are not your average rock band. The Biscuits were formed in 1995 at the University of Pennsylvania and have forged an unbelievable career by melding a wide array of influences like progressive rock, electronica, classical concert music, and hip-hop into a completely new sound. The Disco Biscuits started a wildly successful live music festival called Camp Bisco back in 1999, which has continued annually to this day. Camp Bisco routinely features world-class talent from the likes of artists such as Skrillex, Bass Nectar, Atmosphere, Pretty Lights, Snoop Dogg, and many, many others. What started as a small homegrown event has, over the years, become one of the top festival attractions of the summer season. Here's Steve Martosi talking about that fateful meeting with Barber at Camp Bisco. I think it was right before John goes on stage for like, you know, 19,000 people at Camp Bisco. And he had gotten into programming when Group Me was successful. And he's like, you want to hear my like best idea? He's like, GitHub for music. And I was like, oh, something about it coming from him, something about it being from the artist. GitHub is the kind of like way you would describe an actual, like they are the kind of social coding platform that you know embodies the ethos of the open source community probably the best descriptor and so when he said that it was like okay maybe this is just on the other side of crazy now and i went and i told my co-founder matt the idea and he immediately started working and he couldn't sleep and came back with pieces of a prototype and then i added some stuff and then there we were off to the races You know, we started with this concept of wanting to help people collaborate. And what we wanted to do is kind of connect the music ecosystem right now, and especially then five years ago, the concept of web connected tools and open tools, like everything is a big heavy desktop app with a 99% piracy rates and workflows that are kind of stuck a generation behind. And so 
we wanted to come in and cloud connect the existing tools. And so what we did is we built a backup system, kind of like a Dropbox that would hook into the major DAWs. We started with Ableton. So you have Ableton Logic, GarageBand, and FL Studio. And you know, every time you hit save, it would back up to the cloud. But we would be able to break the session file into what looked like computer source code. You'd actually be able to see what you changed, what people were working on, and leave comments on it. And it made it like a really simple backup and collaboration tool. If you're a musician or a producer that likes to, or more often than not, needs to collaborate with others, it historically has never been easy. Many artists in the past have had to tour with entire computer systems, or at the very least, a bucket of external hard drives to take their projects around. Most cloud-based services like Dropbox have restrictive file size limits, and version tracking, the ability to see how many changes or what changes were made to a file, is a constant challenge. And even if you download and open someone else's music project from Dropbox, you may frequently see plug-in missing errors in your DAW that can drive even the most focused producer crazy. Quick aside, a DAW is a digital audio workstation, which is a tool that allows us to record, edit, mix, master, and generally produce audio. DAWs can be large commercial standalone units, but more commonly, DAWs often refer to software like Logic, Ableton, GarageBand, Pro Tools, and countless others. Part of Steve's inspiration to create Splice came from GitHub, which is an immensely popular platform for developers and coders. GitHub ushered in a new way for developers to collaborate with each other in a centralized location. Users can easily create and distribute new projects, and it created an effortless way to track updates in your code. Steve and Barber knew that if they could use the same idea for a music creation platform, producers and musicians could collaborate from all over the world with each other with essentially zero friction. Here's Aaron Magner, keyboardist, singer, and composer for the Disco Biscuits and Spaga. I think he saw something, and this is what Steve excels at, is he saw something that didn't exist or potentially exist, but was problematic and figured out how to either resolve that problem or offer a solution to a problem that nobody sought to try yet. Steve and the Splice team identified a problem that has plagued musicians for decades and built a solution to solve that problem. Most of us who collaborate with other musicians routinely have to dig through different email, messaging, or Slack threads with our fellow creators to then download a large attachment or to follow a link to a project stored in a cloud-based service, and then we deal with endless headaches when it comes to tracking what somebody changed in that project. But Splice completely solved that problem. Now we have one central place to upload our DAW files, either for our peace of mind as a backup or as a place to collaborate with other musicians. If I upload a new project from Logic or Ableton, for example, my bandmates can easily sync the project to their workstation. If my drummer, who lives across town, opens my project from the Splice app on his Mac and adds a new percussion track to my tune, as soon as he clicks save, the project gets uploaded as version 2 into my Splice studio. I was lucky to work on a fun little tune with one of my favorite songwriters, Tom Marshall, who is the primary lyricist for the band Fish. When Tom uploaded his track into Splice for me to check out, I clicked the Open in Logic button, and instantly, my DAW opened up the project. All of the separate tracks of the song, the drums, the bass, guitar, vocals, everything was there, including all of the automation and plugin settings that may have been missing had he used a different way of getting the song to me. 
It was so much fun collaborating with Tom on this tune, and you're going to hear it at the end of this series. And although Tom and his number one songwriting buddy, Trey Anastasio from Fish, still enjoy using an old-school 8-track recorder, which they've used to collaborate for three-plus decades, it's undeniable that technology is shaping the way we create music both by ourselves and with others. As technology shapes the way we produce and create, it also changes the way we consume music. Here's Sherry Hu, a music and tech writer whose work has appeared in Billboard, Pitchfork, Rolling Stone, and other publications. Technology has absolutely changed distribution, changed music in general, just by introducing different kinds of incentives. And I guess this goes also to the creative process in addition to the marketing process. So this is something that's come up consistently across the history of music tech with respect to formats, right? Like when vinyl records first came out, people naturally made A-sides and B-sides that would only fit on one side of a vinyl record, which was only like a certain amount of time. And it's so interesting that for a lot of artists, like that is still the standard length for an album in terms of like both sides of the record, which is around like 45 to, I guess, closer to 60 minutes. But like, it's really, really rare for an artist to go outside that window because it's just so ingrained in our heads now, kind of, you know, as the unit of an album. And you saw this with CDs and digital downloads. And now with streaming, people have different incentives based on what will make them the most money. So you see this, especially with streaming now, you see songs becoming shorter, you see hooks for a given melody coming earlier and earlier in the song because you don't want your song to get skipped on streaming because then it'll be demoted on a playlist and so it won't get as many streams. So this question of incentives is related to the quantity versus quality question because the economics of streaming almost absolutely incentivize more quantity. Technology has always dictated the way creators have captured their art. Vinyl formats, for example, have the music physically etched inside the grooves of the record itself, so each record could only hold so much music. And as we transitioned to digital music in the last century, things didn't really change. Have you ever wondered why a CD was exactly 74 minutes long? It's a strange number and oddly specific. Why an hour and 14 minutes? It turns out that between 1979 and 1980, the two tech giants Sony and Philips were negotiating a standard time for how long a compact disc should be. Although representatives from both companies went back and forth for a long time, they found one piece of music that bonded them. It was Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, and the longest known recording of that symphony clocked in at, you guessed it, 74 minutes. And these days, music seems as ephemeral as ever because so many of us have ditched physical formats in preference of streaming for our day-to-day -day music listening. According to the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA, physical media only made up 10% of music sales as of 2017, with the other 90% being digital sales. On top of that, streaming services raked in a whopping 75% of all digital revenue. But even though the technological barriers to longer songs is gone, as Sherry mentions, hit songs are becoming shorter and shorter. That claim is backed up by data. A study by Quartz looked at Billboard Top 100 songs from the last 20 years. In the year 2000, there were zero songs in the Top 100 that were 2 minutes and 30 seconds or less. In the year 2018, 6% of the Top 100 tunes were 2 minutes and 30 seconds or shorter. This could be happening for many reasons. Some studies say that our attention spans are becoming shorter, but it seems that the economics of streaming is an even bigger factor. 
Generally, on streaming platforms, artists earn the same royalties for a two-minute song as they would on a 10-minute song, so shorter songs seem to be the way that things are going, at least for mainstream audiences. So in January 2019, Quartz.com wrote an in-depth article about exactly this. They studied the track lengths of critically and commercially successful artists over the years. When they looked at Kendrick Lamar's breakout album from 2013, Good Kid Mad City, they found that the average track length was over five and a half minutes. Compared to his 2017 album, Damn, where the average track length was just three minutes and 57 seconds. The article makes an interesting conclusion, that the loss of song length does not mean a drop in quality, seeing that Damn won a Pulitzer Prize. The Quartz study goes on to show that albums by Drake, Kanye West, J. Cole have all followed similar trends, that their average song length has been going down. This isn't exclusive to hip-hop either, since they looked at country albums by Jason Aldean and Eric Church and found out their songs have gotten about 20% shorter over the years. Regardless of how technology is affecting the way people create music, what's really happening is that people of all walks of life are making music and expressing themselves in different ways. Here's Andy Weissman, managing partner at Union Square Ventures. And the most exciting thing is that I'm really fascinated by the idea of like the spark of creation coming from a kid in a bedroom who's sitting there and wants to self-express and feels that human desire of self-expression and how do they take that expression out of the bedroom and what are the tools and splice for like a couple bucks gives you access to a library of sounds the likes of which you've never had before and to put those sounds together into a creation and expression and then distribute that whether you just send it to your friends or your brother or your sister that's really really exciting and those sounds are now available to everyone not just the professional and that's pretty cool Andy brought up the mind-blowing fact that Splice's library has over 2 million sounds for us to choose from. Between loops, one-shots, plugins, and effects, the sky's the limit when it comes to creativity on this platform. You can jump right in and pick up entire packs of hundreds of sounds tailored to a certain instrument, genre, or niche, or you can just pick your favorite sounds and go from there. Between Splice's massive sound library and its potential for collaboration, the company is changing the way we make music, both by ourselves and with others. Here's Sherry Hu on the state of music collaboration. Definitely bringing people together is one thing, and kind of powering that is the exact same dynamic that allows artists from anywhere in the world to find fans from anywhere in the world. Just very similar, the artists can find collaborators from around the world. They can using sites like Splice or BeatStars is a super popular one. They can like sell their music to to anyone around the world who's interested and then their sounds and their creativity can kind of like take on a new life through that. So that's absolutely transformative. Some people would think that that's bad because it means that fewer and fewer artists or collaborative teams are actually getting together in one place and creating face-to-face and having that more intimate connection like a lot of it might feel more detached and not really in the moment. But yeah, I really think this is a situation where the positives outweigh the negatives. Steve Martosi notes how this extends to marketing tactics. I mean, look, there's a very key and real trend that collaboration is the key to ratcheting up your career. So in the era of social media being the primary kind of audience building tools, the way that people break their channels is they do cross-pollination between them. They'll appear on someone else's channel, they'll go back, and that's how you start to grow. 
And so that's the huge trend in music. Nearly every successful musician and producer has learned how to collaborate effectively because collaboration is key when it comes to the art that we make. Obviously, it's important to make, but first we really have to listen to both our inner creative voices and to those around us that are on the same journey that we are. Finding success as an artist can be extremely challenging, and nobody does it alone. We all need as much help as we can get, and with that, the question arises, is there such a thing as cheating in music? Here's Sherry Hu. I think any technological format that automates some aspect of music making always raises this question. Like I'm thinking of when the first drum machine came out, obviously a ton of drummers were complaining because they're like, oh, I just mean we're going to be out of a job. Clearly, several decades later, that's not the case. Like you have a ton of really successful drummers, right? Who are still like people still need drummers to have great drum sounds, especially like on tour. Like you would prefer to have a real human drummer. Sherry brings up the age-old debate. What is considered cheating in music? Purists throughout history have scoffed at nearly every technological innovation in the industry. Sampling, synthesizers, drum machines, triggers, autotune were all considered incredibly controversial when they first started showing up in mainstream music. Hell, my older musician buddies used to tell me that guitar tuning pedals, the little stomp boxes that can silently tell a guitar player if his notes are a little too flat or a little too sharp, that they were once considered cheating, and that's because a lot of professionals back in the day would look down on you if you weren't able to tune your instrument on the fly by ear. But now the tuning pedal is a mainstay of our toolkit, from the weekend warrior to the professional who tours arenas. Here's one of my favorite guitar players again, John Barber. Well, it should be me, right? I'm the guy who should think everyone's cheating, because I make music the old-fashioned way. I walk around in circles in my backyard and sing it out loud over and over and over again. It's definitely the slowest way to make music ever invented, but uh, they've been doing it for hundreds of years, so it's good enough for me. But the way that they do it nowadays, yeah, I mean, look, it's not cheating. There's no such thing as cheating in music. Music doesn't have rules. People have to like it. That's the rule, right? So if they can make music that people like with samples and with beats and doing everything that everybody's doing, more power to them. I mean, that's awesome. That's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a form of pure expression. Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, the Disco Biscuits were constantly experimenting with tools from the EDM and hip-hop worlds. Today, this is a pretty normal thing to do, but 20 years ago it was considered really controversial in the jam band scene. Of course, the band was ahead of the curve. Fans loved it back then, just as much as we love it now. If there's no such thing as cheating when it comes to technology and making music, then we really should be emboldened to express ourselves with whatever tools we have available. Here's Aaron Magner again, keyboardist and vocalist for The Biscuits and Spaga. The pace of the evolution of technology in anything, so I mean here we're talking specifically about music, is just increasing at an incredibly rapid pace. As a society, we're benefiting, guess you could argue it the other way. As a musician, I'm definitely benefiting from that as well. And I guess you could make the counter argument that there are people that are, you know, being put out of work because of the, you know, advances of music technology. But people have always said that at the end of the day, it makes us better, faster, smarter, and we're able to accomplish a lot more. So, you know, as a larger example, technology in society or as a microcosm of how it helps in music, we're more efficient. We have more tools available to us. Therefore, our creativity level is increased. Magner brings up an interesting point. It can easily be argued that the evolution of technology has provided a net benefit to society. 
Of course, we as creators face challenges, but we have an unforeseen ability to create, distribute, and market our music like never before. We see breakout successes in the music industry in ways that were not possible before. Steve Martosi, CEO of Splice, recalls an example. We wrote this one vocalist, Kara. We wrote her a very small advance while she was working at Jersey Mike Subs as a shift manager, and she killed it. And she went full-time in music because of it. She quit her job right away. And she's one of our best-performing artists. She's had over a million downloads on the platform. She's got a great publishing deal with Ultra. She's on tons of David Guetta records and different tracks. There's voices everywhere. Oh, so first she put up samples of her voice and then became famous yep. as a recording star in her own right. Yeah. Splice's platform helped Kara to quit her day job and focus on what she loves. She's worked with some of the biggest heavy hitters in the EDM world, like Armin Van Buren and Steve Aoki, among others. Her artist sample pack on Splice is full of incredible sounds that, as Steve mentioned, have been enjoyed over a million times. The best part of this platform is that the samples are vetted and curated by Splice so that you only get the highest quality sounds from experienced producers and musicians. Here's some music I produced using just two Splice samples. One is a vocal hook from the Kara Vocal Sample Pack, and the other is called A Love Business Beat by DigiNoise from the Perfect Vision R&B Pack. And I'm over you. I'm over you. I'm over you. Aaron Magner from the Disco Biscuits talked about what it was like to try and find samples to create music before companies like Splice were around. So in the past, if I wanted some rock beats or some jazz beats or some hip hop beats, I would have to go into one of these many companies that exist or did exist and spend $50 for a sample pack. And, you know, it would come with a hundred different drum loops, whatever, maybe five of which were usable or five of which I can actually use. And then I just spent $50. And then if I wanted another variation, you know, now I want another hip hop one and I've got to spend another $50 and I'm going to use two from this sample pack. And you just end up with all this shit that you don't really need boggling down your computer and all this money that you spent unnecessarily. So what they did was started getting all these samples from both the companies that existed at the time or do exist at the time. They started putting out their own custom content. They started going towards artists like myself that are putting out custom content into the world. And we have this shared culture, just like we do with anything these days of ride sharing or getting food delivered or whatever it is, or living in somebody else's home. Now we have this shared culture of music samples that we can actually use as amateur musicians, as professional musicians, as professional producers. And everybody is taking such advantage of whether it's I need a drum loop for this or I need a synth sound or I need a bass sound or a bass line ranging from that to I just need some more kick drums. Aaron also used Splice when creating tracks for the debut album from his solo band, Spaga. What I'm about to play is one specific sample of me playing just a bass line on one of the keyboards. I don't even remember which one anymore. And after all of the different samples were finished and collected, somebody at Splice took the samples and made kind of a very quick two-minute demo using only the sounds that were produced in the studio that day. So here's just one of the bass lines and then what one of the Splice producers was able to create as a demo to show what it can do. 
So here's the skeleton of Aaron's line. And here's what happened after the splice producers got their hands on it. This little demo shows some of the power of Splice and how it can absolutely transform and catapult your creativity into a new dimension. Magner's original piano line sounds good, but after the producers got their hands on it, it turned into an amazing little piece. In the end, Splice has given a brand new set of tools for creating, collaborating, storing, and sharing the creations that are nearest and dearest to our hearts. From the producer that's grinding in his bedroom, to professionals who are touring the world, there is something for every creator in this awesome platform. The one thing I've learned from being a musician and studying the work of others is that no matter what, nobody does it alone. Batman could not have battled the evils of Gotham without Lucius Fox's genius contraptions, Spider-Man could not have defeated the War Goblins without Mockingbird, and Superman would not have made it to Earth as a baby without the help of little Jimmy Olsen. So no matter what kind of music or audio you create, Splice can be that collaborator that's always there for you, no matter where in the world you are or where in your journey you are. Splice can be the catalyst that will help you break through artistic barriers so you can let your creativity flow. Let Creativity Flow is produced by Osiris Media. It's edited and mastered by Revoice Media, hosted by me, Amar Sastry. Special thanks to Sherry Hu, Andy Weissman, John Barber, Aaron Magner, Steve Martosi, and the entire team at Splice. We'll be back with the last episode of Let Creativity Flow next week. In that episode, we'll talk about the future of music, including where collaboration goes from here and how technology will continue to evolve. Please subscribe to this podcast and visit osirispod.com slash creativity for a special offer from Splice for listeners of this podcast. 